0: Vasudeva Sutam Devam, Kamsachano Ramardanam, Devaki Paramanandam, Krishnam Vande Jagad Guru. So, this is our Bhagavad Gita class, and we are doing chapter 8. Um, If I remember correctly, in chapter 8. we had done 22nd verse, is that right? We had done 22nd verse, so we are on the 23rd. We're going to start the 23rd. A quick recap, <coughs> not recap, just a little bit of context here. This uh, part of the Gita, chapter uh, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, these six chapters, are about, are primarily about God and devotion, uh, Ishwar or Saguna Brahman and Bhakti. Uh, remember the, the structure which um, a non dualist, an Advaitin, uh, sort of sees in the Bhagavad Gita. 18 chapters divided into three sets of six chapters chapters 1 to 6, 7 to 12, 13 to 18. And uh, what, uh, how do you divide that? The Advaita idea that you and the ultimate reality are one in the same reality. That which appears, there's only one reality, non-dual reality, Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss. And that appears as this entire universe, as you, the individual being, and as the God of this universe. So God, the individual being, and the universe, all three There is an underlying reality, the reality which is deeper than all of them. Something that is deeper or higher than the world, than us individual sentient beings, and then even even higher than God or deeper than God. And that's Brahman, the non-dual reality. And Advaita Vedanta further says, you, the individual being, you are that non-dual reality. Uh, We are that non-dual reality. We are Brahman, but we don't uh, know it to be so. And because we do not know it to be so, that is the root of samsara, that is the root of all suffering. And our whole purpose, whole goal is to become enlightened to this this ultimate reality about ourselves, that we are Brahman. So that's the whole plot of Advaita Vedanta, that's the storyline. Now, that's beautifully encapsulated in the statement, famous statement, that thou art, you are that ultimate reality. And uh, the structure in the Bhagavad Gita is supposed to reflect this, that thou art. Um, So the first six chapters are supposed to be an inquiry into who am I, and and we're supposed to discover that I am pure consciousness. The next six chapters, 7 to 12, is an inquiry into that, that means God. And then the last six chapters, from 13 to 18, are supposed to be to establish the Identity of you and God. How? Not that you are God. That's uh, often uh, people make this mistake about non duality. And that's why the dualistic uh, schools of Vedanta charge us with blasphemy. No, you think you're God, <laughs> you're a miserable little creature. And they would be right. We, as we know ourselves, we are not God, not at all. It, it's ridiculous to claim that we are. Uh, very, uh, very helpless little creatures. We are. We born and we are born and we die and we suffer. We are ignorant. We know very little. Um, but we Vedanta claims that we are in reality. If we would know ourselves, we are that infinite reality which appears as the sentient being you and as God. So therefore, it is correct to say you and God are one reality. Not that the sentient being is God, but rather the sentient being is Brahman and Brahman and God is also Brahman. So in that sense. Um, But now, and and how is this accomplished? We all know, we have been studying it so long that it is accomplished by an inquiry into ourselves. I'm not the body, not the mind, I'm the witness consciousness. And this witness consciousness is that infinite reality. That's, That's enlightenment. And everything else, um, is um, an appearance, the universe is an appearance in that absolute reality. Now, the question arises is, what about conventional religion, where we uh, believe, you know, a dualistic, theistic religion, where we believe that God exists and heaven exists and uh, we establish a relationship with God, where does that figure in all of this, in this uh, scheme of enlightenment, self-realization? So this is the context. What what is going to happen now provides an answer to that question. Um, Here we are not talking about self inquiry non-duality. We are just talking about God, devotion to God, and what happens after death. That's the context. Uh, Before I plunge into it, because the language here is going to be quite arcane, so, before we get swept up by all those complexities, let me give you the big picture what Krishna is going to say. Um, Krishna is telling Arjuna that quite apart from his quest for enlightenment, self-realization, one should lead a devout life. So, if one leads a devout life, that I am devoted to God in the form of Krishna or Vishnu or Devi, whatever, we are, come, we are entering into um, the, into the worship of the Divine Mother, Durga. So that's another way in which we conceive of or worship God as um, God as the mother. In whichever way you conceive of God, whichever way you worship God, so have this loving, devotional relationship, worshipful relationship, dependence and surrender to God, and you do not want anything else in life. You don't want worldly pleasure, success and all that. So such persons what will happen to them? They lead ethical and devout lives while they are alive. And at and after death, what happens to them is that they go through the series of experiences and end up in the presence of God in heaven. Heaven here would refer to Brahma Loka. Remember, in the Vedantic cosmology, there is a multiplicity of heavens. In fact, there are 14 worlds, seven of which are the good and bright ones. And seven are hellish. So there are 14 worlds. And the highest, the best of them is what is called, you know, heaven with a capital H in religion, where God dwells, God with capital G. So those who lead devout and worshipful lives and they are devoted to God and have bhakti, devotion, true devotion to God, they will end up in this capital H heaven, uh, in the, uh, you know, Brahma Loka which is called uh, Vaikuntha in Vaishnavism, is called Kailasha uh, or Shiva Loka in Shaivism, or Devi Loka in in, in, in Shakta traditions. Uh, And I would venture to say that's what's actually meant by the uh, Christian heaven or the Islamic heaven. Even the non-theistic religions, like for example, Buddhism speaks of a pure land, a kind of existence, uh, very high existence. So that's what you will reach, this devout, worshipful person who has led an ethical and spiritual life throughout not yet attained enlightenment. Maybe has not tried to, or maybe has tried but has not attained, has not realized, I am Brahman. And having gone there, um, either they will never come back to this world and they will dwell there in the presence of God and attain to non-dual realization and eventual freedom from there, Or they might come back to this world, but they'll be highly spiritual, highly evolved beings. Krishna has mentioned this in the sixth chapter. you may be reborn here again and carry on your spiritual practices and attain full enlightenment, non-dual enlightenment. But in any case, you are blessed, you are safe. uh, You'll be highly spiritual in this life, in the next, whatever. That's one path. This path will be called here the bright path. Uh, Shukla Gati. And there are other names for it. Uh, Uttarayana. This is the path of the northern course. Uh, It is also known as Devayana, the path of the gods, the path which takes you to God. Then there is, in contrast, there is another path. Krishna will mention that. Um, And that path is, those who are religious They may perform pujas, Vedic rituals, but they are primarily worldly. The whole point is, let me be happy, let my family do well, uh, let me be rich and healthy and prosperous. And for that, I am performing so many rituals. I am trying to keep God on my side. For what? Not for attaining God. For the world, for a good life in this world and to go to heaven in the next world. And then after that, again, attain a better life, uh, so on. That, that's also a religious life. That's also a religious life, but not particularly spiritual. Uh, such people who are steeped in, in those days, in Vedic ritualism, what would happen to them at the point of death, uh, after death? They will go through a path which Krishna will call the uh, Krishna Gati. Here, Krishna Gati does not mean Krishna uh, of the Gita. It does not mean Sri Krishna. It does not mean God. Krishna here just means dark. And that's why Krishna is called Krishna, actually. You're supposed to be blue-hued, you know. So, uh, Krishna Gati here would mean the dark path in contrast to the bright path. What is this dark path? What does it consist in? After death, we go through another series of experiences and end up in a heaven. As I say, a heaven. And this heaven is small h heaven. Of which there are many such heavens. You can have, uh, you know, all up there in the sky, you can have economic class and what, premium class and business class and first class, all multiple heavens. They're all heavens. But remember, all of those people, whether you're in the first class or business class or premium or whatever, either so many names are there, and or the economic class, all of them will have to land. They'll have to come back and land. So, similarly, all of these heavens—they are all wonderful places to be in, but you will all come back. That's why it's called the dark path. It once the you know, the credit of your good karma, the way the rituals, the good the karma you have earned—that is exhausted. The good merity of the merit of God is exhausted. You come back to this world, and again continue your life. You come back to samsara. You have not attained anything particularly spiritual. So that's why it's called Krishnagati or Dark Path. It's called Dakshinayana, the southern courts. It's also called Pitriyana, the path of the forefathers. So our forefathers who were noble people uh, who led righteous lives and uh, they fulfilled their obligations to the family, to the community, and were devout, they paid their um, whatever they had to pay to the church or something, And they did all of that, so they will go by the path of the forefathers and end up, depending on how good they were, end up in one of those heavens, have a good existence, come back to samsara again, reborn again. And then what happens? Past karma. They still have a lot of many lives karma that will take over and give them different kinds of births, not all of which may be good. So these are the two options open. You might think, wait a minute, this is both of them are religious people, right? Yes, right. Suppose there's somebody, lots of people who are not at all religious, who just live their lives. Some may be good, some may be middling, some may be pretty miserable, uh, awful people. What happens to them? The vast majority, a large number of people who may not be particularly moral or religious. But for them, it is uh, that just after death, the past karma takes over and gives them some kind of birth. No question of uh, higher realms or one of those heavens. And not even economic class, you just you just go by, you know, Amtrak or something like that, um, and um, so this this is what is going to be said now. Remember, neither the um, the Shukla Gati, that is the bright path, or the Krishna Gati, the dark path, or the people who are just you know who have no interest in religion. Uh, who will be who will die and will, will will be by the force of their past karma will be reborn again. So none of these three uh, are enlightened. What happens to the enlightened? That is not mentioned here. That's not the subject here at all. Yeah. And I'll just mention here that before I go into this, uh, this though it is not directly related to the core, the heart of Vedanta, the realization that I am Brahman. It's not directly related to that, but it's important nevertheless. That uh, it's stressing that a devout life uh, with some amount of ritual, um, devotion to God, prayer, surrender to God, and a dispassion for worldliness not not being too worldly, not being greedy, lustful, uh, angry um, uh, you know not nurturing negativities. That is very important. Even if one is not non-dualistic, is not trying to get enlightenment, it's very important for one's further uh, growth and for a better life. So that that's a very... It's a wise thing, even if you're not non-dualistic, even if you're not you're a follower of... You're trying to realize I am Brahman, you are not doing Vedantic inquiry. Doesn't matter. It's still a good thing to do at least this much. And this is a lot. It's, it's a very... Uh, ethical and religious lifestyle so this is what this is the topic why did i give all this detailed instruction because you will see the terms used are uh, rather confusing uh, they are they, because they are borrowed from ancient vedic terms uh, which have very technical meanings now 23rd verse yatra <laughs> chaiva Kalam bharatar O oh, best of the Bharatas, the time at which departing from hence the yogis attain non return or return, that time I shall tell you. He's using the language of time, the time of death, but it's actually not time. It's the kind of life one leads and the path. Path by path, I don't mean an actual physical path through space. It's a series of experiences which he will mention, what will happen after death. So the kind of life one leads, is it a devout, ethical, devout life, or a ritualistic, conventionally religious life? Mm -hmm. These are the two he's going to talk about. About the third one, who's not at all interested in religion and maybe leads an unethical life, he's not talking about that person at all here. And he's not talking about the other one, the enlightened one, the Jivan Mukta also here. The moment, how do you know? The moment you talk about going and coming, it means the person is not enlightened. Going somewhere is an experience of the unenlightened person. The enlightened person knows I neither come nor go. I am Brahman. I am the infinite. Where will the infinite go? All right. So what is said here, Yatra Kale means... At what time? At which time? And it does not mean time here. That's one interesting thing to learn. It means the kind of life you lead, the path you are following, that. So that path, that kind of life, which leads to non-return. Non-return means you go and live um, in the presence of God in capital H, heaven. Vaikuntha, Shiva Loka, or, you know, we we say Ramakrishna Loka, for example, in, in our order, it all means the same place. It's called Brahmaloka. It's a realm, a highly spiritual realm. You dwell in the presence of God. Avritimcha. Or there will be return. Here return means the second path. Moral, ritualistic person, person, but wants you know happiness in this world and the next world. That person will come back. Why? Because he wanted it. He or she wanted it. That will come back. So that path so you, both are he is calling both yogis but one is actually a devout worshipper meditator on god the other one is a ritualistic kind of yogi prayata having departed in this life after physical death of the body yanti they go tangalam bhakshami bharata Shava. that time or that path i will speak of now now what is he going to talk about let's see so here come all those, a shower of arcane uh, terms Agni Jyotir Ahashukla Shanmasa Uttarayanam Tatra Prayata Brahma Brahma Vido Janaha. Fire, the flame, the day, the bright half of the month, and six months of the sun's northern course departing by this path. The knowers of Brahman attain Brahman. All right. First off, Agni means fire. But here it does not mean fire. It means the Devata or a deity who uh, who is the deity of fire, a god of fire. Um, light. It does not mean light as such. It means another deity. Day. It does not mean day. It means a deity who is called day. Day. Um, Shukla Shanmasa, Uttarayana is another deity who is associated with this time uh, of the six m- months of the sun's northern course. So they all refer to deities. They all refer to gods, uh, but not God with capital G. What does this mean? There are reports, actually uh, of um, you know people who have had near-death experiences and then have come back to tell us. So, I take it seriously or not, but the reports are interesting. They often speak of a bright being being approached by a bright being who is calling to them. So, these are what are mentioned here uh, that they, after death, the sentient being, uh, you, we, we, we will uh, come in contact or we'll be approached by this, like some kind of heavenly guides. They will take us, you know, all within quotes, take us to another realm and hand us over to the next guide and the next guide will take us to that and so on. So these are all the, um, the heavenly guides which are mentioned here. They are deities. Uh, and how do I know this? Because literally, if you translate, literally it means fire, flame, day, Uh, bright half of the month, six months of the uh, sun's northern course and so on. So how do I know these mean deities or or, gods with small g? Uh, Well, thanks to Shankaracharya's uh, uh, commentary and all the classical commentaries. And the reason they give this commentary is that this is not new or unique to the Bhagavad Gita. Such terms, they are all borrowed from the Upanishads, from the Vedas. In the Chandogya Upanishad, in the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, these things are mentioned. The way of the, uh, of the gods, Devayana, this is what is being mentioned, the way of non-return into samsara. Or the way of the forefathers, Pitriyana, the way of return back into samsara. Uh, so it is found in the Upanishads, these are, and these are deities uh, in the Upanishads. Deity, not god, small g god, heavenly beings. Um, spiritual beings, radiant beings who help the departing soul on their path. Uh, for example, let me read Shankaracharya's little bit of his commentary. You will get the flavor of how he tries to explain this difficult uh, portion or arcane portion. Agni literally means fire. Agni, Kala Abhimani ni Devata so this is a devata a god small g god who is uh, who presides over time and it doesn't mean fire jyoti api devata eva kala abhimani. and then um, j- jyoti means here not light literally it means light but it may, here it means a, a, a divine being a devata who is identified with a particular stage in the The departed soul's journey, and that person takes that divine being takes over, and so on. Uh, And then uh, he goes on to say all of these terms they refer to devatas, um, individual deities, small g gods. And then what happens? Tatra prayata. Passing along this path, going along this path, the, who, who, who are we talking about? Not everybody. Brahmavido Janaha. Brahmavid here means knower of Brahman. Here it does not mean knower of Brahman. It means the one who has meditated upon Brahman, meditated upon God, who has prayed to God, who has a devotional relationship with God. Look, if you want to put forget all this complicated stuff. Just Tell me straight away what does this mean? It means what all the, de- the dualistic religions, devotional religions tell you. If you're devoted to God, God after death you go to heaven. That's what it means. That's all that it means here. Uh, just a series of mystical experiences you have one after another. And as I said, these have been reported by uh, people with near-death experiences, those who sort of have this experience and come back to tell us. They report a little bit of this. And it's some, somehow common to many religions. Um, they, it may not be described at all in this language, but all religions speak of heavenly guides or beings who help um, take, take the departing soul to, to the presence of God. Where do they go? Brahma They are, They go to God. Here, they go to God means they go to heaven and dwell in the presence of God. So, Literally, what uh, theistic, dualistic religions promise. If you are a believing, devout person, you will reach uh, God. Whether it is in uh, Christianity, Islam, in Vaishnavism, in um, you know, Shaivism, uh, in every theistic religion. You, you, that is what is promised after death. Basically, that's what he's talking about. And this is good. This is a good path. That's why it's called Shukla Gati, a bright path. In contrast to that, he will talk about the other path of people who are not bad people. But basically, they are believing people also. But their, whole, their, their entire belief is uh, oriented towards the world. They want this world. And they, take, they enlist God's help for this world. And you'll find most people who go to temples, churches, mosques, they basically want God's help for this world so such people they will get this world after death they will attain to heaven one of those lower heavens and come back again into this world and that's not bad remember that's a much more pleasant experience than uh, outright worldly people who have no interest in religion who uh, just you know drift in life and they will be taken over overtaken by their past karma and they will attain to various other births that's that can entail a lot of suffering these are not people who will suffer the second group which is coming up now, they will not suffer. They will, in fact, have very pleasant experiences after death. But the only thing is, they will have to come back into samsara until they attain to spirituality. So, that's the second path. Dhoomo ratri statha krishna shanma sadakshinayanam tatra chandramasam jyoti yogi nivartate smoke, the night, the dark half of the month, and the six months of the sun's southern passage. Departing by this path, the yogi attains the lunar sphere and returns thence. Again, all symbolic language, which we wouldn't make any sense of. I mean, what's all this smoke, night, and it's talking about the dark half, the lunar calendar, you know, the dark fortnight, uh, and then the uh, six months of the sun's southern uh, passage. Yeah. By the way, we all know what it means, northern passage southern passage. I mean, we all see the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. But if you observe the heavenly movement from the from our perspective in the earth, the sun doesn't uh, rise and set exactly in the same spot all the time throughout the year. There's a distinct movement northward or southward across the uh, year. So that's what it's meant here. And here it does not mean that at all. Here it means deities, whom this person, this second kind of person, uh, after death will meet in uh, it, his or her spiritual j- in a, a journey after death and attain to some particular heaven. And who are those deities? And those deities are called the deity associated with, is called Dhumas, maybe a smoky deity, who knows? Um, a ratri, a night. And then. This is called Krishna Paksha, the dark path. Dark only because you'll have to come back. Dark only because at the end of all of this, samsara is there again. Uh, But it's still a very pleasant path because it is a person who uh, has been uh, ethical and has has performed rituals, regular puja or whatever rituals are prescribed in your religion, has been basically a conventionally religious person and basically a good person, good citizen in in community. So, such a person will have a good time of it after death, but again come back to samsara. This is called the so-called dark path. Other names are um, the Pitriyana, the path of the forefathers. This is the path by which our forefathers have gone. And they obviously are back to samsara somewhere, in some form, somewhere. Um, So, these are the two paths. And remember, this, this terminology is Upanishadic, Chandogya Upanishad, Briyadarne Upanishad. They have these references. Another different take on this matter is, and a pretty detailed study, is found in Tibetan Buddhism, where they have a very, um, very fine-grained analysis of what happens exactly after death for a non-enlightened person. So they call it the Bardos. So uh, there's a Tibetan book of the dead. Uh, So very, very famous, a classic that has sections on this kind of thing. Not in this language, some other uh, uh, analysis. But yes, there are bright beings, there are stages. Then number 26. Shukla Krishna Gati Hete. Ekaya vrittim, punaha. These two paths of the world, the bright and the dark, are considered to be eternal. By one, one returns not, and by the other, one returns. Basically, summing up all of this, these are two possible paths by which um, a religious person... Might what would happen to a believing person, a religious person after death? Uh, one, both are good, one will lead to the highest heaven and the presence of God as promised in your particular religious path, and you will have those experiences and it will be a blessed experience. And even the Advaitin, the non dualist like us, uh, our um, point is also satisfied because the point is that there in that highest heaven, those who have not got enlightenment in this life, who were maybe not paying attention in the Vedanta classes, uh, uh, they, they, they will, again, I am sure, have Vedanta classes there in the highest heaven. And then God is a hard taskmaster. He will make sure you pay attention and become enlightened in that highest heaven. So non-dual knowledge also will be there. So uh, the, the demand of the non-dual is that you will, not get, you will not be free until you realize you are Brahman, you are one with the infinite. That also will happen there. Or the other one, where one goes to some kind of heaven, has a good time, comes back again and samsara goes on. Ekaya, by one, by the northern path, by the bright path, by the path of the devas. Uttarayana, um, shuklagati, devayana, by that path. Anaviktim, it's the path of non-return. And the other one, avattate punaha, the dark path which is krishnagati the path of the forefathers which is uh, pitriyana the path of uh, the southern course dakshinayana the so southern course of the sun one comes back then and it, what does he mean eternal this is this is the way of samsara as long as one is in samsara this is true this will happen to us but again from an Advaitic perspective, this is not the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is this is all part of a movie, an appearance. You realize you are Brahman, you're free of all this complication. <laughs> then 27. Naite sriti parthajanan, yogi muhyati kashyana, tasmat sarveshu kaleshu, yoga yukto bhavarjuna. Knowing these paths, O Partha, no yogi is deluded. Therefore, at all times, O Arjuna, be endowed with yoga. So what is this importance of this knowledge? If we know this is what's going to happen to us, uh, let's, at the very minimum, of course, we should all try to be enlightened in this very life. At the very minimum, one should not scoff at uh, conventional religion. There's a lot of wisdom packed into it. Especially if you want your good hereafter in this life and hereafter. Um, devotion to God and uh, uh, you know an ethical life is very important. Conclusion, Krishna says, Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu, Yoga Yukta arjuna Therefore, at all times, uh, keep God in mind. Yoga yukta means be centered in yoga. But what yoga has been talked about here? Devotion to God. So continuously try to remember God day and night. Keep your mind on God. Keep your heart set on God and let your prayers go out to the Lord. Here he is referring back to what he had taught at the beginning of the chapter. uh, That um, uh, if you think of God at the point of death, then you will attain to God. Uh, That is the first path, the bright path that you will get if you hold on to God uh, at the point of death. But then he says, how do you hold on to God at the point of death? Who knows? Where's the guarantee? So the guarantee is that if you then you have to hold on to God uh, throughout your life. Make a habit, morning and evening meditation um, and and keeping your mind on God throughout the day, dedicating your actions to God. All could be done privately in, in the privacy of your heart. Nobody need know about it. In fact, that's the best form of devotion. So, that one must do. Very conventional, um, dualistic, theistic religion. And Krishna gives his full approval to it. So, the basic point here is, at all times, that means under all conditions, whether you are in meditation or in puja, or you are working or relaxing at all times, keep your mind on God. We have heard this again and again from the great Swamis like Shivananda, Brahmananda, from the Holy Mother and of course Sri Ramakrishna, Vivekananda. Mm -hmm. The essential thing is to keep your mind on God. The mind will, mind means also heart. Heart means what I want and mind means what I'm thinking about. I can always say, oh, I want God. But if I am honest, I find that I'm not thinking about God at any time throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Or I can make the, train the mind to mechanically repeat a mantra or uh, do a series of practices throughout the day, but the heart may not want it. The heart may be pretty worldly. So both are necessary. Keep your heart on God. That means I want or try to uh, focus your energies, your desires Godward and keep the attention on God. Mind is attention on God. Then number 28. He concludes this chapter. Vede Shuyageshutapa Shucheva Dani shu punya Palam pradishtam Atyeti Tatsaruvam Idam Viditwa Yogi Param Stanam Upeti Chadyam. A nice uh advertisement come conclusion for this chapter. It says, what does he say here? Whatever good result is declared regarding study of the Vedas, regarding the Vedic sacrifices, regarding ascetic performances, you know, like um, fasting and uh, an austere life, and charity, giving gifts, all of these are praised in the um, scriptures as good deeds. All of them, whatever result they can give, just this practice which has been mentioned in this chapter, Just knowing this, that means keeping your mind on God, this exceeds all of those practices by far. If you keep your mind on God, keep your heart on God, then it's far greater than all the good deeds like being charitable, like being, you know, fasting regularly or um, chanting the Vedas or performing rituals. All those are good, but higher than them, It's just this practice of keeping your mind on God. It's just holding on to God uh, in your attention, giving your heart to God, dedicating your actions to God, basically leading a God-centered life um, day after day. That's the highest spiritual practice. Nothing comes close to it. So he he concludes the chapter with this uh, verse. Vede that means in the Vedas or chanting of the Vedas, Yajna, performance of the Vedic uh, sacrifices. Tapaha, various austerities, staying awake at night, um, uh, fasting, uh, you know, re- re- repeating mantras f- for hours and hours. dana, uh, Dana means charitable uh, activities, uh, giving in charity. Yat punya phalam, whatever good karma comes out of it, whatever is uh, indicated in the scriptures, that all this gives rise to good karma. Attyeti, far exceeded. Um, this one-pointed devotion to God, it exceeds all of this by far. That sarvamidam, all of this these practices are um, exceeded by far. The one who knows this truth, that you have to keep your mind on God. Alright. Now, we have completed the 8th chapter. Just a few words on the 8th chapter and then we'll look at the questions. So, in the 8th chapter, Arjuna asks 7 questions at the very beginning. And all those questions are about terms which Krishna mentioned at the end of the 7th chapter. Kimtad Brahma, I'm reading the first verse of the 8th chapter which we just did. So what is Brahman? Uh, what is Adiatma? The inner spiritual reality? Karma. What is karma? Uh, what is this material world? Adibhutam? Uh, what is the world of deities of, of the small gs, heavens? And then Adiyagya Katham Kotra, second verse. Dehasmin Purusha Madhusudana. Dehasmin Madhusudana. Rayane Kalecha Katham Geosi Niyatat Mabhi. The sixth and seventh question. Adiyagya, what is the truth about all these spiritual practices we perform? To whom is it going? And then the last question, which is really the theme of the whole chapter. What do we do at the time of death? At the point of death, it's very important. And what do we do? Um, at the point of death, how do we know the truth? How do we die, basically? I remember this interesting story about a duke in Europe, I think France or somewhere, who met Swami Vivekananda. And he asked the Swami, what can you teach me? And Swami Vivekananda said, I can teach you how to die. It doesn't mean how to commit suicide. It means uh, what is the most glorious uh, spiritual way of leaving this world, where you can leave this world smiling. This chapter, it tells you really how one should prepare for death. And then we know the answers. We we studied it. All the first six questions are answered quickly in two verses by Krishna. He says, um, Brahman is the ultimate reality the indestructible ultimate reality of this universe, Aksharam Param Brahma, the trans, transcendental indestructible reality, Akshara, un, unchange, unchangeable reality. That's why this whole chapter is called Akshara Brahma Yoga. Uh, so, uh, Brahman is the ultimate reality. That's all. It doesn't say anything more about it. And then... What is Adhyatma, our inner spiritual reality? He says, pure consciousness. You are consciousness. You are Atman. That's your inner spiritual reality. And then, um, what is karma? Karma is cause and effect. That which produces this entire universe. That which regulates everything. Causality. Every action has its effect. Every uh, cause you know, has its consequence. Then... Um, adibhutam what is this material universe it's made of the five elements space and fire air and fire and water and earth and combinations of those five elements we have a much more um, scientific description of all the elements in the world today this material universe that's its material elements combinations of those that's this material universe and then the adi daivatam So, all the um, deities taken together, small g gods taken together, is the world of the gods. I'll tell you later what it means. Then, Adhi He says, to whom do all the rituals go, the the effects of rituals, whom are we worshipping? He says, it is me, God. I am Ishwar. I am being worshipped in all rituals. Krishna says this. Basically, by these three terms, Adhibhuta, Adhidaiva and Adiyagya. Those who have followed Vedanta carefully, you will notice he has cleverly inserted the three aspects of the divine. One is Virat, one is Hiranyagarbha, one is Ishvara. So that one consciousness with the entire universe as its body is called Virat. That's God, that's God in the physical manifestation of this universe. And uh, just as a side note here, those who have studied theology, it's not pantheism. It's not that God is this physical universe. A closer term which, I, which is more popular nowadays is called panentheism. So panentheism is God is sort of reflected in this material universe. That is called adibhuta, adhibh- And Deva is the, the, all the cosmic, all the minds taken together. The subtle bodies taken together. Hiranyagarbha. Consciousness associated with all subtle bodies is uh, Hiranyagarbha. That's what's referred to as Adhidaiva. And then consciousness with the power of Maya, God, Ishwara, the God of religion that is called Adhiyagya here. Just as we have three levels of our being. You are pure consciousness. Atman, that's what you are. Uh, but with you know, in deep sleep, pure consciousness associated with the causal body—is that what we experience in deep sleep? In dreams, pure consciousness associated with causal body and the mind, the dreaming mind—that's how we experience ourselves. And in the waking state, you, the pure consciousness, limited one by one causal body and one subtle body and one um, physical body or gross body—is how we experience ourselves. And corresponding to that is that same pure consciousness. With all causal bodies taken together, which is Maya, is Ishvara. The same pure consciousness with all subtle bodies, all causal bodies plus all subtle bodies taken together is Hiranyagarbha. The same pure consciousness with all causal bodies, all subtle bodies and all physical bodies taken together is Virat or Vishwarupa is what is Krishna, what Krishna showed Arjuna uh, or is going to show in the 11th chapter, Vishwarupa Darsana. Anyway, this, just if, you, if it's confusing for you, um, then just let it be. But those who have done Vedanta Sara, it will be, it just matches it so, so well. The rest of the um, chapter is focusing on that at the point of death, do remember God. And in order to re- remember God, remember God uh, at the point of death, then you remember God throughout your life, throughout your days. He says that At the point of death, think of me and let, and be delivered from this body. Let go of this body. Why? He says, whatever you think of, whatever you dwell on at the time of death, that will influence what will happen to you after death. Therefore dwell on God, dwell on the highest. I know of people I know this person who died uh, was a generally good person You know, in our family before I became a monk. And uh, her last thought, uh, her last expression before she died of cancer was that where she had hidden some money, you know, so that her family could use it. That's what, uh, you're thinking about that at the point of death. You can't help it, you know. That's the most important things when dominant thoughts come up. Regrets come up. Um, and in Reader's Digest, one nurse who, was, who had done palliative care for many years of her life, So she wrote a very touching article of you know, people who die, they're conscious at the point of death. Some die in unconsciousness, but some die with consciousness. What do they talk about at the last moment of their life? many of them talk about regrets, especially regrets of not having done, very important, not having followed their dreams. There is something that they really wanted to do in their lives and then humdrum, you know, life events took over and they didn't do it. Um, so they regretted that, at the point of death. Um, but whatever we dwell on at the point of death, that has a powerful effect on what happens to us in, after death. Now someone may ask, but isn't the whole point of the law of karma is our past karma will determine what will happen to us after death, next life. What does it matter what we think about at the point of death for just for a few moments? Well, the idea of the law of karma is we have a vast storehouse of karma. We don't know what's there. So what will be unpacked? It's Krishna seems to be saying that part of your karma will be unpacked, which you are, which corresponds to what you are dwelling on. It is always good to dwell on something positive, high, especially spiritual at the point of death. And Krishna is very clear. This is verse number 7. He says, therefore, the upshot of all this, and this might be the one verse which sums up the entire chapter. Therefore, at all times, that means under all conditions, whatever is going on in your life, Ma think of me. Think of me. Remember me. Remember God. And yudhyacha. And fight the battle of life. It's interesting. Don't be disengaged from life. Uh, you know, this is quite interesting that all the religions, the highest spiritual teachings, they always include the highest spirituality, And the world also. Nothing is excluded. Jesus in the New Testament, he says, it's the highest teaching. He says that um, love, you know, the great commandment. What's the one commandment we should remember? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy might. What a beautiful commandment. He says, that's the most important. Then he adds, and, and love thy neighbor. So the world is not excluded. Your life in the world is not excluded. Uh, he, he is both, uh, uh, he's including transcendence and immanence. It's not that there is uh, God only in heaven and there's nothing else here. This is uh, an ungodly place. No, if you exclude the world, you're making a mistake. So, this is where non duality comes from. Non duality says there is one reality. What you find, Sri Krishna put it this way, the God you find with eyes closed, the same God you find with eyes open. So, Ma Manusmara Yudhya Krishna says the same thing, dwell on me, remember me and fight the battle of life. Whatever you have to do, that you do in the light of, you know, in the presence of God. In this way, Mahiyar Peta Mano Buddhi, having dedicated your mind at your attention, your thoughts to me and Buddhi, your understanding to me your heart to me, you will attain to me this asamshaya. He gives a guarantee here, the stamp of you know, like a divine guarantee. Without any doubt, you will attain to God. All right. Let me look at the comments quickly before we wrap up. Uh, Aditya says, what does capital mean when you say heaven with capital H and God with capital G? The philosophical difference between capital uh, God and versus lowercase God? Yes, there is. So, um, in Hinduism, we talk of devatas. Literally, it means the bright ones, bright beings. And they are not God. They are like sentient beings like us. They have attained to a high status. They are powerful beings. Um, They dwell in some heavenly realm. And they control the forces of nature. They control the forces in our bodies also. But they are not God. And they are not enlightened. So just because of a great deal of good karma, they may have attained to certain positions. And they will lose it after some time. And they will come back into this samsara. And we too can attain to those positions. But they are it's otherworldly, but still worldly. It's nothing particularly highly spiritual about them. So, these are the gods which we hear about in uh, Hindu mythology. uh, Indra, Chandra, Varuna, Agni and all of that. Right. But God, capital G. So, these are English words. In um, Sanskrit, Ishvara, Bhagavan. It's very clear. Saguna Brahman uh, is the creator, preserver, destroyer of the universe. Is the controller of our destiny. The giver of the fruits of our karma. Is the one to whom our worship is directed is the one who loves and looks after us and protects us and guides us to enlightenment and freedom. Uh, Ishwara. The omnipotent, omniscient, um, omnipresent. Uh, and uh, there is only one of that. Only one God. And that God actually projects this entire universe out of his, her, or its own existence. That's basically the God of religion, of theistic religions. That is God with capital G because of this distinction is not understood often hinduism is thought of as a polytheistic religion you know multiple gods and you know they worship many a bunch of different gods that's fine if you think of it that way but it's actually not true uh, hinduism is very clear that there is one power in this universe and it goes further um, further than the monotheistic religions in swami vivekananda said here in the united states I'm afraid your monotheism, so-called much-wanted monotheism is but halfway house. It's not a complete system. Go even further. That is Advaita, non-dualism. It's not that there is a universe and there are sentient beings and above us somewhere there is one supreme, you know, all-powerful dictator of the universe ruling over all of us. Not like that. There is one underlying reality of all of this, which is appearing as many. Anyway. But it's also true that this god of religion is a reality. It's not uh, fiction. And this one god, that's the capital G god. That's the god you would worship. And that god can be worshipped in different forms and different names in Hinduism. Now we are going to worship the same god as Mother in Durga Puja this week. By the way, those who are here in New York, you can come for the Puja on Sunday morning. but the same god is worshipped as Shiva, is worshipped as Vishnu. It's the same one god. The name is different. Forms are different. Mantras are different. Rituals are different. Stories are different. It's, but one, some things are common. That it's one power who controls the entire universe, who projects, maintains and dissolves the universe, who is omniscient, omnipotent, all-loving, beneficial. So, those characteristics are common across all of these. And uh, this is the same God that Jews, Christians, Muslims—they all worship as the one power behind this universe, the one loving, uh, you know, Father of this universe. So that's the capital G God. Small G gods, many, and they are all like people, like sentient beings in charge of different powers of this universe. You can think of them. We have DC Comics and Marvel Comics and superheroes and so a variety of supernatural beings. Okay. Not spiritually important. Similarly, heaven. So after death, we do exist. But these are called lokas or planes of existence. There are multiple planes of existence. Why after that? Even now we do exist. And we live in a particular loka. This is the mortal plane called Martya loka. So this is one plane of existence. But after the death of this body, there will be other planes of existence. Those are all called small h heavens. The there are good ones and there is the highest heaven Brahma Loka which is a spiritual heaven because that's where you you, you are dwelling in the presence of God capital G so a devout a devotional person would aim to reach that that's what's promised in religions when be a good person believing person you go to heaven even Krishna here in the 8th chapter has said that that's the highest heaven but there are lower I mean, not even earths, world mortal worlds or heavens there are miserable worlds worlds of darkness and despair and suffering those are hells it's not right to say that in hinduism there is no hell people sometimes think that that's what vivekananda said no 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 there are there is not not just one hell there are multiple hells there are seven hells which are described in um, in vedanta for example in Jainism, in Buddhism, the descriptions of multiple hells, so it is a part of uh, Indian culture. But the only thing is, none of these are permanent. You don't burn in hell forever, nor do you go to one of these lower heavens forever, though the highest heaven is truly forever. But all of these others, this mor- mortal world, uh, the lower heavens, and the hellish worlds, they are all temporary. A lot of bad karma will take us to the uh, hells. A lot of good karma will take us to the lower heavens. And mixed karma always brings us back to this world. So that's the difference between God with small G, God with capital G, uh, in Sanskrit, the devatas and ishwara or Bhagavan. That's the difference So Charles Chau is saying, "Where are the uh, good and bad in the karma stored and transferred in the. I read that karma is not linked or contained in the Atman. Right, karma is not, has nothing to do with the Atman. The effects of karma, the tendencies are there in the subtle body, and the results of karma are always stored with God. Just like your funds, your credit and debit, everything is stored in the bank, and the bank manager um, gives you a line of credit or pulls in your debts whenever they want. Similarly, uh, our karma account is, uh, is controlling what happens to us in this life and the next. Yes, the story of Bhishma, Neela, Ji, Bill, they are all talking about this. Yeah, so that their time, the six-month journey of the sun to the not literally, it is true. And remember, I am giving an interpretation of this um, from the commentaries of Shankaracharya. But if you literally take what Krishna is saying, It seems to be time, uh, one part of the year. If you die in that part of the year, you go to the highest heaven. If you die in the other part of the year, you go to the uh, world of the forefathers. Both are, by the way, good. Rick says, some people routinely perceive these subtle beings even without having an NDES. There are mystical experiences of these beings. Mm. And there are depictions of people experiencing these gods, these small g-gods. Literally look at the word devata. Devata, div means shine. So there are some shining beings. Padma says, as a strong believer of God after he took away my child. It's being very difficult to understand how to accept his actions and worship him. Yeah, uh, Everything in this world, giving and taking is, is karma, is cause and effect, impersonal. It's not that there is a being out there who is punishing us. That's very difficult to accept. If there's a being out there who's punishing us and rewarding us, that's a bit infantile. But if it's all cause and effect, then maybe one can come to some kind of reconciliation. But something like losing a child is is so traumatic and so deep. I was reading somewhere, notice. There are words in all languages for people who lose, say, a husband or a wife, you know, a widower or a widow, or lose parents, an orphan. There is no word for somebody who's lost a child. Mm -hmm. So that's so, so uh, devastating. And at that point, it's difficult to believe in a loving God. Still, we do survive and we go on with life. And even afterwards, there are um, pleasures and pains. And it might sound cruel, but even after such a terrible shock, we do go to sleep. And when we sleep, we forget everything, including the most terrible shock of all. And when we wake up, when we even are remembering such sorrows, even then, Loss of a child, maybe the most traumatic and sorrowful thing. Even that most traumatic and sorrowful, the greatest of griefs, that you don't remember continuously. You'd go mad if somebody remembered it. It comes and goes. Thomas says, if there's only Brahman, then are the gods and other spiritual beings in their own right, or are they merely manif- all are manifestations of Brahman. They're merely manifestation. Does that mean the gods and the Vedas, Upanishad Puras are just Brahman interacting with itself? Yes. From a non-dual perspective, there's only one reality. Now, interacting with itself, when you talk about interaction, like we are interacting with each other. So it's much better to describe it as sentient beings interacting with each other. But what is the truth of all of this? The truth of all of this is there is one underlying being which is shining forth as all of this. Lisa says, it sounds like the three, Ishwara, Virat and Brahman, are comparable to Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Um, better not compare that. <laughs> These are very uh, theologically loaded terms. A lot of complex theology behind it. So, we can just leave it just like that. I mean, people have compared Brahma, Vishnu, Maheshwara to the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. But again, I don't think that's a, a good comparison. Because the father, son and Holy Ghost in Christianity, father would be Saguna Brahman, Ishwar or Bhagawan of, uh, of Hinduism. That I agree. But the son here would mean incarnation, avatar. That also is compatible. But the idea of Holy Ghost, the presence of God amidst all of us, that's a conception not directly found in, uh, in Vedanta. Sukriti. Is Brahman and Atman the same? Yes, that's the Advaitic idea. Atman means our own reality. Brahman means the reality of this universe or God. They are the same ultimately because it's all existence consciousness place. If you follow a dualistic religion, then they are not the same. You are an individual being. You have an immortal soul. You can call it the Atman, but that Atman is not Brahman. Brahman is God who is separate from your Atman. It's a dualistic approach. In Advaita Vedanta, they are literally the same, ultimately. But at this, that's by two levels of truth. Ultimate truth, Brahman and Atman are the same. At the level of um, relative truth, transactional truth, which we are living in, basically we are interacting, in you know, this virtual reality we are living in, their differences are there. You can clearly see there's a difference between us and God. Therefore, Krishna can tell us, keep thinking about God. He's not saying that um, you are God, so keep thinking about yourself. And we can happily say, yeah, that's what I do all the time. I keep thinking about myself all the time. No, that's not what he means. He says, you are individual beings, sentient being. Think about God, love God, and you and God are not the same at this level. So that uh, one level, uh, that is Advaita, that self-knowledge that was taught in the second chapter and third chapter and so on. But this here, devotion to God is being mentioned. Here the difference is emphasized. Ramya says buddhi being convinced would inevitably lead to manas being convinced. No, buddhi is convinced. Buddhi means understanding. So understanding requires conviction, clarity. And manas means thoughts. We have a series of thoughts coming and going. That requires focus. Each thought should be directed to God. I might be totally convinced. Yes, I am convinced. God is real. Self-knowledge is required. Spirituality is great. I want to be spiritual. I want to be enlightened. I want to be devotional. But what do I do actually throughout my days? Am I really paying attention to God? No. I am concerned with so many other things in the world. Mostly my days are passing, in sort of you know, thinking about the world and people, good thoughts, bad thoughts. That means the manas, the mind, is engaged with the world. Though we are claiming, I have understood God-realization is the ultimate, God exists. So one must take care of both. That clarity, understanding, determination must be there. My, I am a spiritual seeker. My goal is God-realization. God does exist. That's Buddhi. And the mana says, continuously, moment to moment, day to day, as much as possible, think about God. Love, pray, worship God, repeat the mantra. So Uh, The two have to be done separately. Uh, One is not enough. Shammade Chaudhary says, how do we keep our mind and heart on God? What is the difference between the two? I just explained that. Skipped over iPad at 8.16. Where is iPad. Oh, how do you remember God at the time of death when you are unconscious or in extreme pain? What happens then? Yes, that's why only only way out is, um, as Krishna said, Sarvesho Ma Manusmara. As much as possible throughout our days, keep your mind on God. Otherwise, it's not possible at the time of death, time when the mind is very weak, the mind is um, tortured by the pain in the body. And when the mind slips into unconsciousness, you cannot remember God. But just before you slip into unconsciousness, and remember one thing, more than this, I mean, this is like creating a lot of pressure on people. Oh God, I have to think about God all the time. Remember, it does not matter, it, it's not dependent on our efforts really. This thinking about God and loving God expresses our yearning for God. But what happens after death and what we attain to, that's all in the hands of God. Even this praying to God is also in the hands of God. If I want to, if I really um, yearn for God, God will make it possible. If I slip into unconscious at the time of death, um, how can I think of God? I cannot. But it's not that it much depends on me. It depends. uh, God will take care of me. That power which has been taking care of me till now, will take care of me at that time too. I'll share with you what, uh, in a words of hope, a very senior monk, the head of our monastery, when I became a monk, he, sh- he told me. And these are really wo- great blessing, words of hope. So as uh, an over-enthusiastic young novice, uh, after a few days, uh, I said to the, uh, the abbot, the head of the monastery, I don't think I'm making progress. I don't see how I will attain to God-realization you know, the the way I am going. And you read about all these great Swamis and great devotees and you find yourself so lacking uh, in comparison to them. And he told me something which is so soothing, calming and great blessing. This I will share with you. He said, do not worry. The one who has bought you till here, the one who has done all this for you till now, that one will do the rest for you also actually put it as a, as a rhetorical question will, will he not do the rest for you where we have come to now if you really honestly take a look at our lives whatever little progress we have made in spiritual life whatever high, uh, good aspirations we have spiritual aspirations we have it's not we have not really generated it ourselves it has come to us we, it's not that we have uh, made all this progress ourselves all the great things in our life there is some other component working behind our efforts we make efforts, there is something else there too so that power will continue to help us until the very culmination of this game of life not just this life, of all our lives so with that wonderful prayer we pray to the Lord to bless us keep his, her its hand over us, a hand of blessing over us all the time. uh, Keep us under protection. And uh, it's a wonderful life, wonderful lives in plural. We will see it all through, you know, uh, under the grace of God. uh, uh, Either best of all things, enlightenment here and now in this life, or even at the point of death, or Failing that, the bright path, the path of the gods, Devayana, the bright uh, course of the sun, <laughs> Uttarayanam, the northern course of the sun, which is all this mentioned, Krishna mentioned here. That will happen to us. Now we know what's going to happen. We can check. Oh, bright being coming here. Check. I, I said, Krishna told me about it. All right. Om Shanti 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 Harihi hari Om Tat Sat. Shri Ramakrishnaarpa Namastu.